This is a Federal News Network podcast. Sexual assault has been plaguing the military for decades, despite numerous reports and recommendations from military organizations and outside think tanks. The new Independent Review Commission on Sexual Assault says it'll be different this time in bringing ideas to the Pentagon. Last week, the commission announced its members and took some criticism. Federal News Network's Scott Mossioni joins me with the latest. And Scott, let's start with the commission. Just tell us briefly what it is and why does it think it's going to be able to change things this time around? Well, this commission was one of the first things that Secretary Lloyd Austin did when he got into office. And what it is, it's a 13-member panel of sexual assaults and prevention experts who are getting together for, I believe it's a three-month look into sexual assault in the military. They're also going to be looking at some high-risk areas within the military and specific installations. One of the things to remember is that most recent reports on sexual assaults are there were 6,200 assaults, and that's just reported assaults within the military. It also doesn't include harassment and many other things. Uh, The commission says it's going to be different partly because of the type of people that it's onboarding. Uh, What it's done is it's created certain lines of effort, and those efforts are uh, accountability, prevention, climate and culture, and victim care and support. And the people that they're bringing in aren't who you usually expect. A lot of these get uh, old generals, uh, maybe some people who worked inside government, and then one or two outside people. These members are people that go really into specificity of sexual assault and also the vanguard, really, of sexual assault. There's Cindy Dyer. She's the Justice Department's former director for the Office of Violence Against Women. Neil Irvin, the executive director of Men Can Stop Rape. Uh, There's also a a veteran, uh, Kyle Ann Hunter, who is a Marine Corps combat veteran and a professor at the uh, Air Force Academy. And uh, another member who's the director of the D.C. Rape Crisis Center. So some people who uh, really know what they're talking about. Uh, Another thing that's really interesting about this is that they're saying no option will be left off of the table. And what that means is that they've set up emails so that people in the military can email their ideas in. Uh, You know, this isn't something that's just coming from an ivory tower. It's coming from people who are actually witnessing and dealing with sexual assault. And you mentioned that word culture, and a lot of these people, I think, are dealing with cultural change in the organizations they might have dealt with earlier. Is that part of this, and does the commission have the feeling that it might be able to affect culture across the military? Because that's a big item to take on. It's a huge item to take on, and I think it's really at the crux between uh, popular culture and the culture that we exist in as civilians and the culture of the military. Uh, sadly, this issue after decades of, of dealing with this is finally really getting some traction. We've seen it with the, the Me Too movement and it, within the military with specialist Vanessa Guillen, who was sexually harassed and, and then murdered at Fort Hood. Uh, so the military is taking a different tact at this. Uh, I think they've the alarm bell is finally sounding, even though it's been ringing for decades, as we said in the beginning. Uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, uh, finally just acknowledged that this is predatory behavior, and uh, that's something that the military hasn't really given this sort of behavior in the past. It's always had this sort of boys will be boys. We can't always you know, get in you know, get in in front of everyone on these sorts of things, Um, you know, that there's a lot of myths that go around these sexual assault kind of things like that people lie about their experiences. Uh, These are all things that have really made the military culture toxic. 
And it's something that will be changing, hopefully, with this commission. One other thing is that there's a lot more studies and just quantitative research to go along with it. We found some recent RAND studies that said that uh, many people leave the military because of the sexual assault and harassment climate, and that areas where sexual harassment is uh, okay and permitted more allows for more sexual assault to happen uh, to people who are working in certain units. We're speaking with Federal News Network Scott Mascioni. So in the past, DOD has had other commissions, some, as you mentioned, self-generated, some externally, but it sounds like nothing ever really happened to change what's going on, except maybe awareness. That's right. So at the exact same time that Lynn Rosenthal, who's the commissioner, uh, the lead commissioner of this uh, panel, spoke at the Pentagon, on the other side of the river on the Potomac, we had a hearing at the Senate Armed Services Committee, uh, personnel subcommittee, where a bunch of experts were talking about sexual assault in the military. We had Brenda Farrell, who was the uh, director of defense capabilities management at the Government Accountability Office. And she basically said that military sexual assault is continuing to rise, despite a lot of tools that commanders can really use. They have a lot of important roles in climate assessments, in setting the tone for the climate, uh, and yet the resources that the DoD has been giving them, going back to culture, really has not been utilized as, as much as it should. Uh, obviously, there's tons of other things that the military can do that they have necessarily not done. I won't get into every single one, but there literally are hundreds of recommendations that have been left unfulfilled by the Defense Department uh, to that really get to this issue. Uh, and a lot of it also is just changing the way that the military uh, acts and and talks about these issues. No longer can they just, you know, sweep it under the rug or pretend like it's not a non-issue, especially when they're trying to bring more women into the military uh, and open up to a more diverse clientele. So what happens now? Maybe the commission will at least look at what has been postulated over these many years and at least see what has already been suggested. What's the timeline? They're organized, they're appointed. What happens next? Yeah, well, this is something that's that's obviously going to take a long time still. Uh, one of the issues is that they have to, like we said, they have to go and, and do their work at this point. From there, they're going to come out with recommendations, and then those can either be adopted by the Defense Department, which I'm sure will take some time, or will have to be put codified within to law through Congress. Uh, now, one, one thing outside of the commission is that uh, many of the top lawmakers in the Armed Services Committees have said that they're seriously considering taking the prosecution of sex crimes outside of the chain of command and then, uh, you know, letting independent prosecutors really take care of these issues. One of the experts who talked at the Armed Services Committee hearing said, you know, nearly all commanders, pretty much all of them really, are not attorneys and that they're ill-equipped for this kind of increasing complex legal decisions when you're taking in social media, First Amendment rights, uh, you know, all these sorts of things. Uh, and really, it's just an extra thing to add to these commanders' plates and one that maybe they're just not exactly uh, equipped to use. Yeah, that idea comes up perennially, the idea of taking the prosecution and conviction process out of the military into what, local civilian courts? Is that where it would go? Exactly. And, uh, you know, Kirsten Gillibrand, who's the leader of the House, uh, Senate Armed Services Committee pers- Personnel Subcommittee, uh, has introduced the bill pretty much annually as well. On the, It's called the Military Justice Improvement Act, which will do just that. It also helps some things, uh, allowing people to submit complaints more anonymously, uh, harsher punishments for retaliation, which is something that a lot of sexual assault uh, victims also deal with uh, many times. 
Federal News Network's Scott Mossioni. Thanks so much. Thank you. Be sure to check out this article and his ongoing coverage of this issue. It's all at federalnewsnetwork.com. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward-looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees, Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee 
he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. Uh, led This is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling. Uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.